Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living wisely, living well, living wisely, living well, aphorism for July 7th. Make everyone feel that he or she is special in your eyes, not necessarily special in any particular way, but special above all because everyone on earth is your brother or sister in God. This is a very interesting... um, just it's very interesting what Swami is saying here and it it articulates something that I have thought about from a different angle and I never had it put together this way. What I want to say is, you know, there's a lot of effort these days to build people's self-esteem or to build children's self-esteem by telling them how special they are. You're so special. And um, Sometimes it actually works. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for a whole number of reasons. One of them is sometimes you actually are pressuring the child to be the sort of something special when they may not actually have a sense of that and it can't be created just because people keep saying it to them. It can actually make you insecure rather than secure. I myself had what I call superficial brilliance when I was a child. I call it superficial because, you know, everybody's born with certain abilities. I I watched a a, a documentary about the cellist Jacqueline Dupre, who had a very short career but was extremely brilliant while she had it. And, you know, her teachers just said she was just born with it. Mozart was born with it. Of course, once you start reincarnation, it makes perfect sense. You've just completed something and you don't forget it. You just carry it right through or you've, you've done so much of it that it's become deeply, it's part of your soul. So I had the kind of, I had school smarts is what I would call it, which is just a particular kind of intelligence. It's not intelligence. It's just school smarts. And I, I had it. And I was in an atmosphere, especially for my first 15 years, I was just in a place where the competition was not very great. And so, therefore, I looked a lot taller than I actually was. And um, as a consequence, I felt I was always getting credit, even though I I knew I was actually doing nothing, because it took no effort for me to excel in school. It was just like I knew how to do it. Like Mozart could write symphonies, which was quite something else. You know, I could just deal with school curriculum. I could read. I knew words. I knew how to spell I don't even remember. I don't remember learning learning anything. Really, learning much in school. I knew how to read before I got there. It was just the way it was. So, as a consequence, I always felt exceedingly insecure, because I felt schizophrenic, or not schizophrenic. Perhaps fraud is slightly the right word, but it was just like there, I, I didn't know how to work. I wasn't disciplined. I wasn't concentrated. I didn't understand how to learn, and so I knew I didn't know how I was going to progress through anything, except I would get accolades for this this particular thing. And it wasn't because I was a good person or who I was or anything inherent within me. It was this odd ability that I had 
that was that was not in didn't give me any sense of accomplishment because I didn't remember when I learned it. It was just like breathing to me to be able to do that kind of thing. So that that's one piece of it that I've had to reflect on. And when I got to Ananda, I was 24 by that point. I mean, I I had to. I often say I grew up at Ananda, which is really true. I had to learn how to work. I had to learn how to start from where I was and then accomplish something rather than just coast on what I already knew. Here's an interesting, just a, a little vignette. My friend, who's a cello teacher, has told me that more than once in his teaching career, and I don't know if it's more than twice, someone has come to him as a child to play the cello with him who is remarkably talented at a very young age. And he said in, in all, however many cases it was, around the age of 10 they stopped playing. Because, as he put it, there's nothing in it for them. It's like they already know how to do it and there's no, uh, and there's no future in it. Uh, I, I, read, I saw an interview with Yo-Yo Ma, who is a great cellist, and I believe was a great cellist before they were 20. And he talked about how disconcerting it was for him because he was 20 and he had reached the apex of his profession. Most people would spend a lifetime to try to get where he already was. And then he had to figure out, you know, what do I do now? Of course, you can keep refining, especially music, because it's based on your consciousness. And if you start understanding that I am the primary instrument... Um, I, I can't speak to that field because it's not my field, but you understand. So now, the same thing, if you try to give people self-esteem by telling them how special they are, are all the time, but there's, no, there's just your affirmations. Many people, children, it's just like, are, are, not, are not that dumb. I mean, they're astute enough to think, what do you mean? Like, what makes me so special? And then, then you start making them special because of outer accomplishments. And then all of a sudden they're loved because they're good at things. And it just gets very, very complicated. Or, and now this goes into adults, the word I want to use is flatter. Swami never flattered us. He never tried to make us feel good by laying on the praise. The only time... There was only one time I actually saw him do it. And I was extremely interested in the situation because he, he was sort of lavishing praise on this person for being talented in this way and talented in that way and talented in this way. And the person is a person of accomplishment. There's no question about it. But there was something about the way Swami was doing that that was really interesting to me. Well, I'm going to... I'm going to give you a different example, which I feel that the two are related, but it's just my guessing. When, when Master was alive, there was a, a disciple with him, and um, I'm not certain which one it was, so I'm not going to say a name, but it was one of Swami's contemporaries. And so this disciple had lots of spiritual experiences, just lots of experiences. And Swamiji was relatively new, was new on the path, and he never had any experiences. <laughs> just And this man was, you know, just having visions and having out-of-body events and all these different things happening. And Swami was definitely making, you know, meditating deeply and so on, but by comparison, nothing was happening. 
But that man left the path. Left the path, I believe, even before Master died. Whereas Swamiji was absolutely faithful, dynamically, extraordinarily faithful and productive all the way to the end. And later Swami commented, and maybe Master even told him, that Master was trying desperately to keep that disciple. So he was, he was lavishing on him all these experiences in the hope that it would give him the faith and the confidence to stay on the path. But in fact, still, he was drawn away from it. It just it didn't work. Now, interestingly, the only time, to my mind, that I felt Swami was flattering someone was that one particular time, and not long after they left the path. So I just thought, oh, he was just trying to keep them. And, and that person had a particular unusual temperament and perhaps was more vulnerable to flattery. But as a rule, Swami never flattered. And I want to say exactly, I, partly what flattery means is what's written here. Um, make everyone feel that he or she is special in your eyes, not necessarily special in any particular way. Not that I love you because you're a great dancer, I love you because you do such good work in the print shop. You know, you're very special because no one else can serve in the way that you can serve. And that just tends to make a person, it, it can easily go to ego. And often when people flatter, they're quite simply exaggerating. That's all. Flattery often is exaggeration. Or it's just laid on with a trowel. And what is the point? You know, what is the point? Because if you're special in some particular way, what, what does that mean? Swamiji made the comment about great masters. Mostly, if we think of our, all of us as waves on the ocean, the human mind naturally thinks that the biggest wave is the most important wave. But he said, it's the opposite. The masters live in the whole ocean, and they scarcely separate themselves from the ocean at all. So spiritual greatness is to remain close to the ocean, not to separate yourself out in singularity. When Swami passed away, I had this feeling about him, and it was, this, it was the ocean image, it was that picture. Because when Swami stopped breathing, which he, he, he passed away in about 15 minutes. I mean, he was there. At, when you read Narayani uh, Anaya's book about Swami, she was there when he passed away. And in Lightbearer, I report a lot of the same. He was a little withdrawn the morning that he died. But his health had not been good for a while, and he was... He often had different bobs, so the fact that he was withdrawn was not unusual. But he had a, a, a full-body seizure, and 15 minutes later he stopped breathing. And there was no, there was no other warning. I had, I had always expected that we would have lots of warning when Swami died, and that there would be a long, you know, a long deathbed cycle. So it was pretty astonishing to get a phone call at, you know, whatever, 11 o'clock at night in America, which is what it was, I think, or close to it, Swami's having trouble breathing, and then get a call 15 minutes later saying Swami was gone. And of course, for us, on this side, it was a huge shift, just a gigantic shift. But I, I, I realized on his side, I don't think it was that much of a shift. And what I thought of was, I thought of the ocean like this, and Swami lived, he was just a little bit of a lift, you know, just enough of a lift so that there was, you could see a wave. You could see something that was separate from the ocean. But in the quietest, most serene sort of way, 
the wave just fell back to the level of the ocean. And that unique wave ceased to be animated. You see? And that's what we really want people to feel. That we're special because we're all brothers and sisters in God. And the th- this is like, that love is, is personal because it's given to those around you. But the motivation is completely impersonal in the sense that what we're trying to do is we're trying to build everyone's self-worth on the only lasting basis there is. And the lasting basis for self-worth is I'm a child of God. I mean, really, that's a pretty big resume. I am a child of God. I've always been a child of God. I am Divine Mother's beloved. I am perfect even as my Father in Heaven is perfect. Not because of any particular thing that I do, but because that's how God made me. And the more we feel ourselves that way, the more then we can shine in all the particulars as well. But the more we claim those particulars, um, the less divinely inspired they will be because what we're doing is we're pushing the wave higher and higher up. So Swami was very honest and he was very supportive and, and very, um, you know, appropriate. It wasn't like he never praised us, but he always praised us. It was, it was so wonderful you could absolutely depend on him telling you the truth. There was just never the slightest edge, except that one instance I mentioned, where you had to feel in any way he was just trying to make you feel good. And he, 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 um, and so if he said, and for me it was writing, which is what I had to work with all for many decades with him, several decades, he he would he would always tell me exactly, this is good, or we can use this, this is good, this is very good, this is excellent, <laughs> you know. And if it was good, that was good. But it wasn't excellent. It was, it was good. And that was nice. We could use it. And if it was very good, that was better. And actually, far from making me feel inadequate, it actually gave me an enormous amount of confidence. Because we were just dealing with reality. I could trust, I could absolutely trust Swamiji. There was just never, never a motive in anything he said. Now, I'm going to think of a, another instance which was actually really interesting in a different way. I behaved badly in regard to two people who are part of the center. And because I was an authority here, they had to appeal above my head and they complained to Swami. And it was complicated enough that he called the three of us up to Ananda village and we had a little meeting. This was rarely, in fact, unprecedented in my life did anything like this happen, but there we were. And I, although I was resolved to not try to justify myself. I was not able to sustain my resolution. And as soon as the um, complaints were put in front of me, I became defensive. And because I became defensive, Swamiji sided with the person who was accusing me. And uh, even though I knew enough to know what Swami really felt about the whole situation. If I had not become defensive, it probably might have gone differently. But because I was defensive, everything shifted. Because then he had to show me certain things. It didn't matter. Okay, so all of that. So it wasn't my favorite encounter. It was a little tough on me. Um, Swami 
knew full well. It wasn't like I was exposed in front of him, but I, I lost my center. So Swami allowed the other two people to leave, but he, he kept me back. And he did not talk about what we discussed, nothing like that. He just, I don't know, we drank tea. I don't even remember what we did. <coughs> but he kept me there long enough to make sure that I realized that I was special to him because I was a child of God and not because I behaved well or anything. And once, and it was a subtle, but it was very clear to me. He wanted to know, first of all, he wanted me to know he didn't, he wasn't going to side with me when I was behaving badly. He loved all three of us equally because we were all children of God. I was in a position of authority. He'd obviously put a lot of confidence into me, blah, blah, blah. Didn't make any difference. That wasn't what the friendship was built on. But once he was sure that I understood that what I did or didn't do had nothing to do with his friendship for me, then he said, well, good night, like that. But, oh, I was so grateful. And it was so subtle. You see, these are, this is, and this is what Swami's saying, and I'll read it again here at the end. Make everyone feel that he or she is special in your eyes not necessarily special in any particular way, but special above all, because everyone on earth is your brother or sister in God. God bless you. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.